Welcome to North Georgia Business Radio X. I'm your host, Bo Henderson, here with Dr. Bill Lampton. This is the show where we love to find out about the businesses, the organizations, and the people in our communities, and what's going on with them. What, what is it that makes them tick? What are the things they're doing? And we have some great guests lined up today, Dr. Bill. Yes, we do. And you know, Bo, I, I saw an unidentified flying object out there. It was sunshine. Uh, you know, we haven't seen that in quite a while. I, I guess I've got some sunglasses somewhere in the house. I'll have to find them. But between the snow and the rain, the pond's full, the lake's full out there. It's, it's kind of nice, actually. To see the sunshine is that, nice. That's refreshing, right? So, well, let's jump right in today. Um, I'm, I'm very fascinated and interested in, in the conversation we're going to have with our first guest. It's Otis Sisk with Green Prism Consulting, LLC. So, Otis, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. So, give us just a, a big overview, 10,000-foot uh, overview. What, what is Green Prism? So, Green Prism is a uh, entity that really is three parts. We're a consulting firm, a landscape management firm, and an education firm. So, uh, we like to pride ourselves in not only educating our local constituents, but also our clients, and we spread that around the world through education, and then we take that that we've learned, and we apply that locally, or even abroad. I just spent three weeks in Lake Placid, New York, on a big project, so oh. we, we take that, everything from the consulting, which is dealing with environmental issues, pre- and post-construction. We work a lot with the Corps of Engineers properties. We uh, work with... If your car happens to hit someone's tree, how to deal with that. We, If someone falls out of a tree, then on the landscape management side, we spent many years owning a, another company called Global Tree Preservation. We learned a lot. We gained hundreds and hundreds of clients in the local community. Now we uh, work with man maintaining those properties that we've worked with for so many years because we also build a research lab during that process. We are pretty full spectrum. So there's a lot that goes on, right? There's a lot, yeah. yeah well, I was a, a fascinated because it's not every day you run into an arborist, right? So so my question that comes up is where did that path come from? Did you know at an early age this is something I'm, I'm fascinated with or did it come later? What's the story to get you to what you're doing now? Well, I'm multiple, multiple generations. My dad ah. has did this until he retired. My uncles and cousins and sister, my wife even, she was my partner with the, the tree firm that we had. So... This has been going on since the 1800s, wow. we have in our family history. As soon as they made it here from Ireland, they started the logging world, and they've been doing tree care or tree removal or logging or some fashion ever since the 1800s. Wow. So this is something you grew up in. Yeah, and it's what I've found from traveling around, even in other countries, is this is a family industry. It's more of your normal where you pick up the last name of Smith. You may have been a blacksmith. Right. Well, the individuals that are in the tree care world that these are traits and skills that get passed down from generation. Normally, as you're a young person, you went to work with your dad or uncle or something, then you just pick that up. Other countries have got a much more elaborate education-based system where you can just pop in and learn all these skills. Here in America, it's still a lot of families that own the companies and their children and cousins and uncles and those parts and pieces are all what make it happen as the family unit. So you, uh, growing up around it, you you, you're like, hey, I love this, because it can go either way. You can go, I'm, I've seen so much yeah. of it, I want to do something completely different. Yeah, and you this chose the path. This is not the path I wanted. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed hydraulics and, okay. and wanted to be a hydraulic engineer. Then I was working on a big piping system job for a while, not, not for long, but then I uh, found I was pretty much unemployable. And so in the tree care world, the good thing is, is you can be yourself, you can have a personality, you can do a lot of other parts that 
you normally don't get in a normal nine to five kind of job. It's very exciting, which the other job that I was in, it was very boring and being a young person and being on tree crews my whole life and working on logging yards as a young person, I liked the excitement and the, the tree world definitely offered that. So I left the, the pressurized pipe world and moved into the tree world at about 18 years old. Oh, wow. So, so. W- one of the questions that comes up, uh, talking about being a certified arborist, what are some of the benefits? You know, this is a North Georgia show. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the benefits of having you here in the community? Well, I offer a lot of free classes around the community through the Master Gardeners, mm-hmm. through a lot of garden organizations. We spread that information around, and it's what's a lot of people don't realize is there's a big difference between it being an arborist, which is anybody who does tree work is technically an arborist, okay. and being a ISA or Interna- International Society of Arboriculture certified arborist, which means you've taken it upon yourself to learn the biology and the physiology and the chemistry, then you took a, a test that is basically the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. So there's a big difference between the two of them, which allows you to be able to see the science of not just cutting out branches, but why is the tree doing this, which offers your clients a much better room for error that they're not just looking at this, the obvious symptoms of more of what's going on under the ground, what's the environment like, what has changed, why is the tree doing these things, which offers a little bit better protection for everybody. Excellent. One of the things that I think our, our North Georgia listeners need to realize, and, and your being here helps us think about it, is how blessed we are with all the trees we have. I lived in Kansas at one time, and I can tell you, I grew up in South Mississippi, where in my um, my front lawn, we must have had 50 or 60, 80-foot pine trees. And I thought the rest of the world was like that, but Kansas wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, I remember uh, so well talking to a guy one time, and he told me he was from South Dakota. I said, where are you from in South Dakota? He said, I live near the tree in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to realize what a blessing we have with all these trees. And we live in a very biodiverse area of the state, and not only the state, but the entire country. We never had a glacier in this part of Georgia, and we were never under the ocean. So, And we also live in the second oldest mountain range in the world, wow. the Appalachian Mountain Chain. So having all those parts and pieces all combined together allowed for the perfect combination and also the way the jet stream dips through Alabama then through this area, we're in a Goldilocks zone. So we have a huge amount of species that you don't find anywhere else in the state, and we've got a lot of multi-story forests. We've got understory and overstory and a lot of biodiversity from the ground plants to medium-sized to full-sized plants. So this area really is extremely unusual for the rest of the state. Oh, it is. We were, we were talking uh, at the outset about all the wet weather recently. That is a threat to tree owners, isn't it? It really is. Uh, so the big issue that we have as humans is we forget these timelines. Trees live hundreds of years potentially, and we forget seasonally that things change as well. So for us, what we've had over a couple seasons is really, really wet springs and really, really dry. We went over 91 days of 90-degree-plus temperatures this past year. So it's this cocktail of fungal issues and then beetles, fungal issues and beetles. I've, uh, I just got back had six phone calls already, six property visits of all conifers with fungal issues. A lot of Leyland cypress, which are not a very stable tree anyway, that were planted too close together with these wet conditions. Not only do you have the potential of root issues with them just falling out of the ground with heavy loads and snow loads and wind loads, 
but also you have all these uh, what would be considered more of aesthetic issues where you have rampant fungal issues all over the trees. Then they dry up in the, the summertime, so then they're already stressed, so then you get beetle issues. So it's this, this cocktail that's been going on for a couple seasons because really the, the entire seasonal calendar sort of shifted a little bit. So it's really, really wet now. It should be wet in a month from now. So And, and then when you throw a 40-mile-an-hour wind in on that too. Yeah, and then having trees, like we just got this wet, heavy snow. I, even at my property, I had a tree break in half. And so these are well-maintained trees that just get pushed well beyond their mechanical thresholds, either through alluviated soil and, and high mile-per-hour winds. 40 miles per hour is technically where things, even in the best shape, start falling out of the ground. It's just too much force and friction because roots really you have – Roots on both side of the sides of the tree, it should be 360 degrees. Well, that's a perfect tree in right. this urban world. You may have a very asymmetrical root system. You get a little bit of wind along with some water, so there's no friction in the soil. Then the roots pop right out of the ground. So that's been happening a lot is full tree uprooting. One of the things that I was wondering that – I'm thinking about our listeners listening. So I think the average person, maybe they – they they love the trees. They appreciate the trees. But but what are some things you would tell uh, Otis, the average person, that maybe they need to know that they're just not thinking about other than hey, I, I got trees on my property. Well, when you own a piece of property, you also own the land the property is sitting on. A lot of people invest in these mini McMansions, five hundred thousand dollars, and they don't invest in any landscape management budget. Trees require attention every two to five years in an urban environment. If you're in the woods. It's no big deal if things fall down. In the urban environment, you need to have someone looking at the trees annually if possible, if not every two years, to make sure that you're not seeing something. Unlike a human being where you can just give someone a pill sometimes and they're going to be all right, when you see something with a tree, it is not all right. It takes many years for a tree to put on new layers to cover up anything that's going on. That's the big issue is trees do not heal themselves. They cover over last year's issues or this year's issues so when they have a little beetle issue it may not seem that big but it it could destroy the tree forever so you're not going to get your 500 years out of that specimen oak so if we've done if we haven't done it we we might really need to have a tree check every absolutely now and then. Just yeah. come out check out the trees is that one of the services or is that some of the kind of services you do yeah we do that every day that's okay. a that's a part of our normal client relations as we're out looking at the trees we like to be a part of of the the entire property including the client really when we take on a property we take on the client as sort of like the secondary part of it we want to be there I'm, i've never sold work what i like to do is resolve issues hopefully we never have to have those those conversations where we're actually going to perform something. That's my goal is to work my way out of not doing anything. And by having the client understand how to deal with their property and understand what's going on, and they can call you as soon as they see something, a lot of times it's monetarily way easier. And then also for us, it's way easier to resolve any issues that are going on. Well, so when as we go through this, I was wondering too, as you were just describing that last part, you get into issues with, with actually, I, I'm thinking roots, but also trees in, in your property. So you're talking about not ma managing the trees on your property. <clears throat> but you get into issues to help help advise how do we, hey, here's a potential root problem going to hurt a foundation, or this, this might be a little too close to the house. How do we navigate or circumvent some of that stuff? Well, in general, uh, pre-planning is always best. People plant these little trees. We got them. 
oh, they look great, it's so small, they forget that genetically you're not going to be able to stop that tree. If it's right. if genetically it wants to be 40 inches diameter, it will be 40 inches diameter. It may just go slower, and if it's right next to your house, what they found is really roots don't damage nice foundations. What they do is they exploit foundations that are already cracked. So okay. when you have these these properties, older houses, bricks they, that crack, the and same with septics, trees will exploit that, then they create quite a few issues that could be major and catastrophic to plumbing systems, natural gas systems. So pre-planning is important. The other thing, too, is don't get too attached. It's just a tree. Right. If a tree is an issue, sometimes it's better just to remove the tree. We do preservation work, but sometimes that is the most logical way of dealing with the, the issue and a logical solution, then you just replace it. It's better than having your house removed. It, absolutely. And with the size of some of the trees that we have around, it's better to check them. And if there is an issue, just remove it. We there's the, They did a tree survey 50 years ago, and they totally miscalculated how many trees are on the planet because they didn't take into consideration any of the Arctic trees. So we now know that with everybody trying to do these million tree planting uh, projects that that's a great idea we're not going to be able to plant trees to get rid of this carbon solution issue so your one tree that you're removing because you're trying to be utopian could destroy your house or fall in your neighbor's house sometimes it's more logical to think about it as our human lifespan not that oh the tree can live another hundred years an right. urban tree if it lives 30 years it's considered that it's done its job and you can replace it without really any major like uh, concerns about it yeah, no, I see that need for pre-planning before you get started, but also it's a triage situation, right? Sometimes yeah. you got to cut it off if it's the best Absolutely. thing to do. Absolutely. What about other vocations? We were talking a little bit. It sounds like a lot of background there. Other vocations you're interested in, in besides the trees? Well, we do all kinds of things. We have a little music studio, and we uh, we hike, and we do. I travel a lot. I was just on a in three weeks in Lake Placid, so it really keeps us busy. So. For us, the, the tree world is sort of my life. I love it. It's not only a, a job for us, it's more of a passion. I built a research lab, so I spent a lot of time working with soils and trying to resolve soil issues and nutrient issues. So, yeah, it's a, we have a lot of hobbies. Most of them are environmental-based. Well, here's, here's the question. Somebody listening saying, hey, this makes sense. Um, I need the tree checkup. There's other issues I would like, or even if they want to have you speak and educate, because I think with this, Again, it's very easy to say, hey, we have trees, but but you have a whole science and, and this knowledge base to educate and help us do better and preserve. And and uh, so what's the best way people could either, is it go to a website, is it call to get in touch with any of these services, again, or either just have you educate, because it sounds like that's something you enjoy doing too. Yeah, greenprismconsulting.com is our website, and we, we give a lot of classes through the Georgia Arborist Association, the Master Gardeners of Hall County. Uh, also, lots of little garden clubs in this area, and we give classes a couple times a year with each one of those entities. So there's a lot of availability to, to receive education that's new and current and about what's going on here in Hall County, and then you can take that information and hopefully resolve those issues yourself. Then if not, you can always give us a call, and we can come out and take a look and try to put together a plan. And that's always the People get overwhelmed if you've never done anything for 20 years and you receive a quote from a tree company. Sometimes it's like, wow, right. that costs more than my car does. Yeah, but you own 50 acres and you didn't do anything for 20 years. It's going to be expensive. We, we can help them develop a plan and chip away at that in small bites so it's not so difficult to swallow. Well, we've been listening to Otis Sisk with GreenPrismConsulting.com. Thanks so much for sharing what and you do and, and the good things and the education you're doing in the community. 
Before we transition to our next guest, Otis, I do want to say one more thing. I heard you're a pretty good climber. You got a, a brief bit you can tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, I'm a, I'm a fairly good climber. I won the state of Georgia's tree climbing championship six times in a row. I competed in the world championships three times. I won Florida. To go to the world championships, you have to win the southern chapter, which is where, lo- where we actually live. The southern chapter is nine states, so it's a big deal. Wow. So once I won that for the last time, uh, the Georgia Arborist Association asked me for me to become the organizer. And being a, a young business owner, I became the organizer, which is a horrible mistake. It's way easier just <laughs> doing the competitions. But I was able to bring the tree climbing championship here to Gainesville. And so I brought it to Gainesville for two full years, which we pruned all the trees at the Martha Hope Cabin Park. I learned how all the licensing process works and insurance works. So it was really interesting to be on that side of it. Now I've, I'm the head judge and head technician, so I help get all the events set up. I run all the events to make sure that they're safe. I help get all the sponsorship, and so I still work with the Georgia Arborist Association. And we have our competitions coming up on March 20th through 22nd wow. in uh, uh, Pittard Park down in uh, Watkinsville. That'd so. be fun to watch. So just to, to give us an idea, paint a picture, what are we looking at, like to climb a tree? Is it a time? Or Everything is, it- is timed, and but it's all preservation-based, so it's not like the – uh, steel timber sports where you see people climbing with spikes that's what we use only for removals if your arborist or tree guys using spikes to prune your trees you shouldn't use them that's a practice that was taken out of our industry in the 1800s they knew that that was bad so those are only used for removal so in the residential world everything is on rope so it's as fast as you can climb and we have people that world's fastest footlock which is climbing on two ropes like the way they used to do in gym is 13 seconds for 50 feet so and now with modern systems people are doing uh, 50 feet in about 12 seconds on different kinds of systems so it's extremely fast everything is fast so if a bear's chasing us i'm pretty much out of luck right you may be out of luck (laughs) (laughs) unless you can climb a rope really really fast well bill so that that's we're talking about some some good we have we have our very own champion right here in Gainesville. Yes, and, and it's wonderful to have Otis on the show. I will say, Otis, I will not see you up a tree. I will, <laughs> I will, I will see you there, but you will not see me there. Well, Let me check the top. Well, the recreational world has really taken off, and so there's a lot of opportunities, and if you do come to the Tree Climbing Championship in March, they have a lot of children's climbs, and it really allows children to be able to go outside their normal everyday activity and feel exposed safely in climbing trees on rope with safety gear and with professionals. So it really starts them off young of understanding and respecting being at height and also just something new for them. We talked about tree work, preservation, our very own champion tree climber, but that tree climbing has some good physical activity, which is I think that's a good transition to our next guest. Yes, it is, because we have with us Coach Rich Corbett, Gainesville High School track and cross country. Welcome, Coach. Thank you very much, guys. You know, I, uh, I have a little bit of very distant connection with cross country in that one of my grandsons won the state championship in South Carolina wow. a few years ago. So I, firsthand, I know, and you can talk a little bit about this, both with track and cross country, the degree of dedication and training and diet and discipline that goes into that. Yes, sir. I'll tell you, um, we've got some kids that put in a lot of work year-round. We, we mandate that we take two or three weeks off after each season just to let the kids recover a little bit and take a break. But 
um, they're usually itching to get right back at it. And we work our way up to about 60 to 70 miles a week by the end of the summer, leading into cross country. During track, we'll back off the mileage a little bit because we get a little more specified on the track. Is that outdoors in, in the summer heat? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We start early, um, about 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the kids, I've got water out there on the course with them. And, um, you know, they love it. They love it. it. It prepares us. we got to compete in August, and the temperatures don't change. I mean, September's not much different either, so. That's right. So you can't just train in November. No, sir. No, sir. The work put in in the summer builds that base for you for cross country. Well, tell us a little bit about what's been going on with the program, particularly over the last couple of years. Yes, sir. I took over two years ago. We had a lot of uh, coaching changes at Gainesville High School with the uh, opening of Cherokee Bluff. Several coaches went that direction opened up some opportunities for coaches within the school, which opened up a position for me doing cross country. I'd been at the middle school for two years handling that program. Um, so two years ago when I took over the high school program, a lot of the middle school kids that I'd been coaching were coming up out of uh, eighth grade. So it, uh, the program really took off. I remember the first day of summer practice two years ago, wondering if kids would show up. And um, you know, we had about 50 or 60 that day that showed, and I, I figured we were gonna be okay. Well, I guess maybe you were a competitor yourself? Yes, sir. I, uh, I competed at Walton High School back in the early 80s. We won three state titles as a cross-country team, so we had a lot of success. Then I went on to Florida State to uh, run track and cross-country there in the 80s. Excellent. Well, what's participation like now, Coach? Is there, there a handful of kids, a uh, hundred kids? I mean, what, what's going on out there now? Well, the good news at Gainesville High School, we've got a, a demographic that likes to play soccer mm -hmm. and likes to run. If they're not going to play soccer, they're generally going to come over to run. It's a uh, With the Hispanic background, those kids have grown up chasing soccer balls, and that usually transitions over to pretty good running. Um, but we, we cross all the demographics. We've got about um, 70, 80 kids that run cross country. Wow. The middle school program's about just just about as healthy. And then right now for track, we've really grown the numbers in the last two years with uh, my fellow head coach, Coach Philip Davis. Um, we've grown the numbers up around 100 for track. So it's it's really booming. We're doing a great job over there with the, with the kids. That's they're, a good-sized program. Yeah, they're buying in. Um, we're really uh, – my goal with the program, especially in cross country, is I try to keep the JV and the varsity together. I, I really hate the term JV because I've got kids on that JV program that would be solid varsity at any other high school. Wow. So I try to take both those programs where we, we go to a lot of big meets, try to face bigger competition. We're going to be going to 7A next year, the largest classification in the state. So, you know, it's important that we, we understand the competition is going to get even better. We finished seventh the last two years in cross country for the boys in the state meet. Excellent. Well, one of the one of the questions I had, I don't know if it's changed a lot. From do, do a lot of these guys and ladies do they do they mainly do track and, and cross country, or do you have other coaches encouraging them to do off season work there to stay in shape? I mean, mm -hmm. Do you have do you have some of that like cross sport athletes? Still? We do, we okay. do. Um, I think as coaches, we try to encourage kids to to uh, you know dabble in different sports. Mm -hmm. I think the problem that we encounter is we get into high school. You know, that's that's really big in middle school. So we get into high school, we start to get a little bit more year round whether we as coaches like to admit that or not. Right. Um, but we do have the athletes. Um, we've got an athlete that runs cross country every year, and then he's really a great wrestler for the school. And then he transitions into outdoor track when wrestling in. So um, we've got a lot of kids that, with basketball season wrapping up now, will come on out for track. Um, some of the football players come out to throw and run sprints. So we do have some dual and triple athletes. But um, as far as the kids that I, I specify with the uh, – Distance runners, most of them go year-round with me running distance. Now, some will go to soccer in the spring. Wow. 
Coach, what does your, your track program include? Uh, what events, and, and do you have hurdles and pole oh, yeah. vault, and, and, and what does it include? Oh, yeah, it's every event that would, would be in any outdoor program for the high schools. We go the, uh, the full spectrum. We've got coaches that are uh, specific to some of those events. You mentioned the pole vault. Got a great pole vault coach and Lara Mallard at the campus there. Um, we've got, I guess, four or five main coaches. Then we've got a couple community coaches as well. So we've got a pretty big staff, which helps out with that with the kids that I mentioned. I mean, when you got about a hundred kids, you, you know, thirty-five or forty might be distance runners, but the others need a little bit more specific uh, coaching. When you say distance runners, what is the the competitive distance? Well, in track, it's the mile, it's the eight hundred mile and two mile, which is the events I I get a little more specific with. In cross country, it's a five k, three point one miles. So the the kids put in a lot of work. We're we're not at the school very often. Once the practice starts, we're off in the neighborhoods running, and I'm usually up the roads with them, checking on them. Well, one of the things, coach, if if the community listening. And, and it was, we have a really nice organic reach of, of guests of the show, community listening that shares this. What would you want the community to know about the program? Is there anything that they need to know or could help with? Well, the great thing is, is, is I'm out in the community. I, I come across a lot of people that say, hey, I've seen your kids running down Green Street or coming through town. And I think that's important, the exposure that the kids get to get recognized. A lot of these kids kind of look at the high school sports, say, well, you know, cross country's in the background. It's football, baseball, basketball, the traditional sports we all grew up on. Um, but I think the kids are really making a difference and uh, changing that perception. So, you know, I think we've uh, we've gotten a lot of community buy-in the last two years. We've got support from the uh, community. We've got a sponsorship board, and uh, the sponsorships are growing every year. We really work on the sponsorships more for track because uh, track is a little bit more expensive with the equipment that we have to purchase. Cross-country, we do a fundraiser called a Lapathon. It's pretty uh, pretty easy to raise money for cross-country. Track's a little bit more uh, more detailed as far as your investment. All right. One thing I'm curious about, I, I knew a, a friend from my hometown in Mississippi who played college football and then pro football, and I was talking with him one time in later years, and it was his theory that – People have speed innately that you don't develop speed. Was he right or not? Well, I think you're you're born with certain traits. I mean, there's kids that are born to be a distance runner. I, I had a little bit of speed, but I knew I was a distance runner. Um, you know, I think we fall back a little bit too much on the the perception that football players are going to be your speed. Um, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's some of the uh, soccer players. They've got a lot of quickness. Um, it's just about trying to develop these kids. And, you know, that's where Coach Philip Davis gets more involved with the sprinters along with the, one of our other coaches, Carvis Jones. Well, Coach, you didn't talk. I want to jump back real quick. You talked about sponsorships and funding. How does that work, or how could the community get involved, or how could they participate? Well, we are on our sponsorship board. Anybody that donates $250 or more a year, we put their uh, graphic on the sponsorship board and recognize them. Um, but we take all donations. We've got people that donate $100. Some people just sponsor a student for their student dues because yeah. we do charge $100 a year for dues, and that's in cross-country and in track. Um, but if anybody's interested in donating, they can send a check directly to Gainesville High School made out to Gainesville Track. Okay. Um, to my attention, attention Richard Corbett. Very good. You notice he didn't say made out to Richard Corbett. No, right? sir. No. no, sir. And he didn't say Bo or Bill no. either. No, no, sir. I write those receipts daily and uh, deposit it. Very good. The, um, the thing that, that uh, I'd like to know next is 
how many of these get college scholarships? You know, we've been real successful the last two years. Um, we've got three kids over, three boys over at Emmanuel College right now on full scholarships. A little bit is that uh, financial aid and grants that they were given, but for the most part, their academics were covered. It's the uh, housing that, you know, they had to work to get covered. But, um, you know, that university is about 32000 and I think they all three got around eighteen dollars to $20,000 in scholarship per year. Um, so we've got some kids down at Bruton Parker, some of the smaller colleges, because, you know, what I tell the kids is there are scholarships out there at these smaller universities. If they'll get off the mindset that, that they have to be a D1 scholarship athlete, right. um, there's so many schools. And I'm right now in touch with Bruton Parker over two of our seniors um, trying to get them placed right now. But um, we have not had a lot of seniors lately graduating. We've been a young program and still are. But the success that we've had with the kids going on to college to run has been outstanding, especially for these first generation, the, the Hispanic kids who really are going to be the first college graduates in their, in their families. It's, it's a great accomplishment. Well, that's a great incentive mm -hmm. for the kids. It is. It is. And my goal is to get them exposed outside of Gainesville. I want them to go out and see the more than Hall County. Are, and, and that connection, are your competitive meets, are they all around uh, North Georgia or, or beyond that? No, I think in cross country especially, we tried to get outside of this area. Um, this year we took a, uh, a big, bold move by skipping our county meet, which uh, was a first for us. We hated to miss the county meet because it's a big deal. But it gave us a chance that same weekend to go to a bigger meet outside of Hall County. Um, when I took the program over two years ago, I took them to Carrollton uh, this year, hoping, hoping to raise enough money to maybe take them down to Florida State, where I still got connections with the program down there. They have a big invitation during cross country. Um, during track this year, we've exposed our schedule a little bit more, opened it up a little bit more to uh, some of the schools down Georgia 400, the Alpharetta schools, the Forsyth County schools, knowing that we're going to be in that region next year as a 7A school. Well, something I was thinking about, Coach, um, for listeners with kids, or the kids might be listening, say they're coming up maybe through middle school, mm -hmm. and they're, they're saying, well, I like to run. Maybe I'm interested. What would you tell that person about, hey, why well, maybe look into this? Well, right now, Parks and Rec is doing a great job of starting their track program. Oh, um, it's it's through grades one through five, and it's, it's countywide. It's not just Gainesville City kids. But I think the deadline is approaching this week to register for that at the Gainesville Parks and Rec Department. Uh, as far as our middle school, what we're doing this year is kind of unique. It's something new. We're trying to bridge our, our middle school program with our high school program to give them more exposure to our high school coaches and our high school facilities. Um, it's, we, we make no cuts at the middle school or the high school, unlike a lot of sports. We take all comers because, quite honestly, I don't know if that sixth grader is going to become a great eighth grader or transition to a great ninth grader. Um, so it's all comers. And, you know, we're bringing the middle school kids over by bus to the high school so that we can bridge the uh, gap between the two programs. Very good. I would imagine, just as with any sport, the competitive edge develops with these kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more they put in, I tell them, um, you know, you can come out of middle school as the top eighth grader winning the county meet every year, but if you're not going to put the work in at the high school level, somebody that is is going to go right back by you. So, um, and, and that's kind of fun to see. We've seen a lot of kids that – May have been um, one of my one of my top girls at the high school was probably my 24th girl at the middle school when she was in, I guess it was seventh grade. Now she's my number one and two girl. She kind of goes back and forth. So she put the work in over the last few years and it's paid off. 
I think of these uh, runners long range, uh, no pun intended there, but uh, uh, in my grandson's case, where I said he won the state championship in South Carolina several years ago, he's still a runner. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I would imagine they see the benefits health-wise, the way they feel, the way they look, and I would suppose many of these keep that as a lifelong habit. Well, that's really uh, that's really one of the goals I speak to them about is that I'm trying to give them an opportunity to, to participate in a lifelong sport. And, um, you know, my next step is trying to expose them to running in road races. That's one thing these kids don't get exposure to um, because that, that's a financial investment nowadays with $30 road races. But I grew up as a kid running the Peachtree Road Race every year, um, although I lived in Atlanta at the time. It was a little easier. But, yeah, it's a lifelong sport, and I tell them that. You know, you can play football, basketball, things like that, but, you know, th those might be limited as you get injured, things like that. But with running, it's, it's especially distance running, it's a great thing to get into. Oh, Coach, one thing that's been a little bit fascinating to me about the, the cross country, and tell me if I'm missing something here, it's that it's a team sport, right? There's a team win, but you could have an off meet or just get beat, and you could still have a personal win. So no, it's kind of I, both I, levels, right? I, I love that you said that about cross country. It, it, it's much as I, I, I work right now, we're in track season. Cross country is an awesome sport. It is a true team sport. You can have the kid that wins the state meet and finishes first overall, but if you don't have a great number five runner, right. your team score, they, they score top five, one through five. Um, if you don't have a great front five running together as a team, um, you're just not going to have the, the top finishes in the, the state meet. I mean, we finished seventh the last two years, but we didn't have a kid in the top ten on the boys' side. Okay. It was a it was a true team effort. And the tighter that gap is from your first runner to your fifth runner, as far as seconds, the tighter, the quicker you can get that number five runner across, the quicker your score stops. The better it's going to be. Yep. Well, so we've talked a little bit about we can sponsor. That's when we can, we can participate. Any other any other avenues or ways that is it come out to attract me i mean what, what would you encourage anybody that says hey i'd like to look into this a little further well unfortunately at gainesville right now we're, we're in the process of looking at building in into the school through the east Bloss program if that goes through um we gotta we gotta invest in the program the facilities right now we've got a great track it's a six lane track we do not have the stands to really host meets unfortunately we have hosted some some middle school meets over there and middle school cross-country meets but for the most part that's one of the issues we have at Gainesville with our track is we have to travel. We have to get on the uh, bus and go find meets. Um, but as far as coming out to watch, Cherokee Bluff will be hosting the county meet. And I think that's uh, towards the end of, uh, I guess it's March, towards the end of March last week. And that'll be a great opportunity to come out and see all the schools in the county because it's great. I mean, the competition in the county is outstanding. Very good. So, hey, something to look forward to in the future. Hopefully. Yes, sir. Well, this last thing, and I just this is for coaches in general. I grew up with a lot of coaches, uh, more so in football. But um, a special place in my heart for coaches because for these young people, they may not be a college athlete. They may not turn out to be the, you know, top five or whatever. But sometimes having this outlet at a certain time in their life and these critical years – make all the difference in the world you so. know uh, it, it what makes me the most proud is seeing my kids succeed in the hallways and the classrooms the clubs um to be a great distance runner you have to be dedicated and that translates over into the classroom as well most of these kids that i coach are uh, high gpa high academic achievers and they participate more than just the uh, track and cross country programs they participate in the other other sports we mentioned but also the uh the clubs um, and I, that makes me proud. Uh, you know, I've got a couple that stop by my, my house in the morning as I'm getting ready to go to school. <laughs> they're out on their morning run. That makes me proud that they've they bought into that. When we we started, it was about getting the afternoon runs in. 
and then we transi- transitioned into the idea that you needed to get up in the morning and also get some running in. And it's pretty neat to step out my door because I live right here in town and see the kids running by. Hey, hey, that's your product in motion. It's great. It's great. Well, Coach Rich Corbett, thanks so much for stopping in and giving us an update on what's going on with track and cross country at Gainesville High School. Thank you for your time. And again, Otis Sisk, thanks so much for sharing your work and and what you do here in the community to help us. I appreciate you being a guest on North Georgia Business Radio. Thanks. And Dr. Bill, another great show. Fascinating. Interesting. We keep learning more about these people that make this community go around, and I'm so excited. And we'll see you listening, same time, same place, right here on North Georgia Business Radio X.